Welcome back to the third episode of Sustainalytics Sustainable Finance Solutions podcast. This is a monthly roundup of the latest transactions and developments in the sustainable finance space globally. We cover a lot in this 20-minute episode. We talk about insights and transactions and also regulatory developments. The episode is hosted by myself, Nick, and also Cheryl, and we lead the sales efforts for sustainable finance solutions across the Asia-Pacific, and we'll also have some updates from our colleagues in Europe and the Americas. Since our last episode, the coronavirus situation continues to worsen with the total number of confirmed cases in the U.S. eclipsing that of Italy and China. The various lockdown measures have impacted many individuals, businesses and business owners. As the world's supply chain grinds to a halt, the silver lining in it all may be that pollution levels around the world has reduced. We believe that green and even social stimulus is needed more than ever to stimulate the economy to get out of the recession and more importantly to build a low-carbon, climate-resilient world to weather such shocks. Let's see now what this means for sustainable finance. So I think in terms of the articles that have been produced over the month and the research we've done, there's a lot of talk about uh, new green deals, uh, fiscal stimulus obviously happening, uh, given what's uh, what we're seeing in the markets at the moment. So hopefully more green strings or social strings attached to a lot of those uh, stimulus packages, which will be supportive of sustainable finance going forward. Um, once the market recovers a bit more, uh, hopefully more and more green bonds as they tend to do better in more volatile uh, market. So like other bonds, maybe a pause for a while. It's difficult to uh, to say, uh, but hopefully be back and stronger and, uh, and bigger than ever. Uh, one of the interesting issues as well is, is what's happened with the uh, reduction in oil prices and the reduction in those prices in a major way. Does that strengthen or does it weaken the case for renewables, a debate which will be ongoing? And we really hope that it supports the case for renewables going forward. I think this will also cause a lot of countries to have a more forensic look at their healthcare and their resilience in that particular sector and some of the other social programs and resilience measures they have in place for times like these. So let's, uh, let's see what, what happens there. Yeah, and on that note, our research team also put out a blog post titled The Coronavirus, Oil Prices and ESG, Three Takeaways for Investors. And it, it mirrors what you just mentioned, Nick, about our house view is that sustained low oil prices will not meaningfully threaten the long-term fundamentals of renewable energy, given that there's so much interest and policies already rolled out and invested in this. Um, the other takeaway is that coronavirus will also will probably force management teams to look deeper into their supply chains, and particularly in times like these when markets are challenging, ESG integration and other flavors of responsible investing will become more important because factors like supply chain and health and safety risks can be captured more holistically under the ESG lens. Hmm. Okay. And what about uh, coronavirus-related bonds, Cheryl, specifically? Have you noticed much specific issuance? And also, I think ICMA came out with some additional guidance over the month. Yeah, that's right, Nick. Uh, ICMA announced further guidelines in, on the social bond principles, publishing a Q&A and a short case study with ISC on their website. So an interesting point is because the nature of COVID-19, the target audience for such social bonds can apply to the general population. And um, in China, we saw like the Chinese regulators have made it much easier for companies by setting up green channels for fast-track issuances. So China Development Bank, they raised RMB $13.5 billion for the first uh, clearly labeled novel coronavirus prevention bond. And we also see other uh, transactions in the market, such as the African Development Bank, AFDB, which also issued a social bond. Um, the Nordic Investment Bank also raised about $1 billion in euros for their, what they, they're calling it, the COVID-19 response bond. 
Pfizer also priced a USD 1.25 billion sustainability bond, which goes towards increasing patient access to Pfizer's medicines and vaccines, especially among the underserved populations, to strengthen this healthcare system. Okay, so then to look at one, a couple of other interesting points to round off uh, what really took our eye over the month. It was an interesting quote that sort of circulated on on social media there for a while, which was climate change should get coronavirus viruses publicist. Now, that's not to make light at all of coronavirus. It's serious and our hearts and, and minds and thoughts go out to those people uh, impacted. But it's really quite noteworthy to, to notice an issue really in front of our eyes. A lot of things get mobilized across the world and maybe an issue that's in front of our eyes, but we don't realize as much as on climate change. Will that change the tact of some governments in relation to their climate change plans and responses? Let's see. Another great quote over the month that I saw was in relation to um, Mark Carney, who mentioned that really transition could become the greatest commercial opportunity of our time. So great to see transition being talked about in terms of opportunity um, and not just risk. And just another quick one to round off the really noteworthy items over the month. We noticed that uh, Ping An Insurance Group has become one of the first major Chinese asset owners this year to openly declare that it will stop financing high pollution and high energy consumption industries. So that is definitely noteworthy to uh, to see. So what about green bonds um, and transactions that have happened over the month, uh, Cheryl? What's what's caught your eye and, and what are the interesting um, bonds you've seen over the month? Yeah, thanks, Nate. We're going to move on to this next segment now where we talk about these noteworthy transactions. And there has been quite a few, starting with some green bonds. So Volkswagen published its green finance framework, which links their financing strategy to their corporate objective of carbon neutrality by 2015. And you know, two types of projects that will be financed are primarily linked to their electric vehicles and as well as charging infrastructure. Uh, we also see the Porsche unit of the Volkswagen arm will also continue with their green financing after selling a record 1 billion euro green Schultz sheen last year. So we can definitely expect more to come because VW was the first automaker to commit to the Paris climate goals in 2018. Another interesting name to mention is Arla Foods, which is a Danish dairy company owned by 9,000 farmers in the Nordics. So they do milk, cheese, yogurt, and butter, and they published a sustainable financing framework back in February. And dairy is an interesting and challenging uh, industry because of cows and greenhouse gases, so it's definitely a welcoming site for us. And CBI also released some uh, webinars as well as is their draft criteria on their website and is presently open for consultation. So agriculture is definitely an important industry to tackle because it's about it's, it's estimated that it accounts for about 80% of deforestation as well as about 19 to 29% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Over in the insurance sector, we saw Prudential Financial announcing a USD 500 million green bond, which is the first issuance of its kind by a major US life insurer. And lastly, in the renewable space, we also see Europe's largest producers and retailers of electricity and heat, uh, state-owned Battenfall, issuing a green bond. Okay. And what about the green loan side, uh, Cheryl? Maybe not quite as active as green bonds, but anything uh, notable uh, in that part of the market? Yeah, maybe just two things we will talk about. So Seven Yield, which is a Singapore-based maritime leasing company, they announced they had delivered the first of two vessels, which is an LNG-powered car carrier. This is exclusively for Volkswagen Group, and this makes Volkswagen as the first automaker to use LNG-powered ships in the long-distance overseas distribution of cars and light vehicles. Uh, Credit Agricole provided this loan, but you know we might think instead of green, it might you know fit better in this transition space. 
Moving over to the Middle East, uh, there was a USD $758 million non-recourse project finance facility raised by Saudi-based ACWA Power. It's very it's a quite a rare green loan from the Middle East, and it will fund the construction of the world's largest reverse osmosis desalination plant, which will be completed in 2022. So being in the Middle East with a large loan and uh, in water space, it's a very noteworthy combination of trends. Mm, okay. And social bonds, was there much uh, done over the month apart from uh, some of the um, pandemic-related bonds that you mentioned before, Cheryl? Anything else that caught your eye? Yeah. So apart from the coronavirus social bonds, we have one uh, IFC, which invested about 200 million US in privately placed gender and green bonds issued by the bank OCBC NISP of Indonesia. Yeah. So maybe, Nick, uh, let's move over to the area of transition. Can you tell us what happened in March? Yeah, sure. So as we've talked about in previous podcasts, we expect a lot of activity that's related to transition bonds and transition instruments to, to really grow and, and pick up this year in many ways, being the year of transition, first year of a new uh, of a new decade. A bit of a sobering read, actually. A report that I noted uh, produced by TPI, uh, and we'll have that available in the, in the show notes, and I encourage our listeners to, uh, to check that out. Um, but a report was produced that really showed uh, and measured uh, companies' preparedness for, for the transition. And the sobering part of that was nearly, um, in, in TPI's research, 40% of companies are demonstrably underprepared for the transition. So uh, that report is good. It looks at sectors and it looks at different levels of preparedness. So hopefully that can guide financiers working with some of the more challenging uh, industries as, uh, as well. So the other point to mention on transition was a, another report which was, I guess, equally as sobering and, and released just a day or two after the TPI report um, was a report that showed uh, approximately $2.7 trillion has been financed into fossil fuels since the Paris Agreement. And there's a bit of a league table of different banks and things, which we won't go into too far, but a very sobering read on that. And hopefully, some of these reports that are coming to the fore really challenge some of the thinking about that and how we can accelerate uh, some of the transition. Uh, that was produced by Rainforest Alliance, uh, BankTrack, and, and a few other organizations. So I think the next point just to mention on that to round up transition for, for this episode is uh, hopefully we're seeing more items come on the transition menu for some of these more challenged uh, challenged type of, uh, of companies. You know, sustainability link loans, uh, which we've talked about and we'll talk about more as an engagement tool, sustainability linked bonds as an engagement tool, different type of instrument hopefully will grow and also transition uh, transition bonds. So hopefully more on the menu for some of these more challenging uh, sectors and high emitting sectors. Uh, let's really see what uh, what happens there. Any interesting SLLs in the market? Yeah, quite a few, Cheryl, like the green bond list that you uh, read out for, um, and went through before. Quite a lot actually happening over, over March. So a couple just to uh, just to mention, the first one that really caught my eye was uh, for Crown. And it caught my eye because uh, it's a $3.2 billion sustainability link syndicated credit. It actually uses the management score in our sustainability ESG risk uh, rating. Crown are a uh, equipment producer for consumer goods and industrial products. So good to see a new sector coming to market and the size of deal. West Farmers in Australia uh, had about a 400 million um, transaction with uh, with CBA, I believe, uh, and focused on um, carbon reduction uh, or CO2 emissions reduction. But also there was a social metric in there. So really good to see more deals getting done with a social metric. And that one was in relation to Indigenous employment opportunities. 
Uh, moving along, uh, Finnish pulp and paper maker UPM also had a 750 million euro trade over the month. And I particularly noted uh, this one and liked it because there was a combination of KPIs that are mutually reinforcing. So one of them was to have a net positive impact on, uh, on biodiversity, but also a 65% reduction of, of CO2 from the fuels and other things that are used in the company. So really, really good to see a well thought through integrated strategy on, uh, on those. We also worked at Sustainalytics with a company, Yinsen, uh, oil and gas equipment related in that sector uh, using um, and working, um, uh, working with us and Islamic loan uh, sustainability linked uh, structure. Um, also in neighbor, and that was in Malaysia, in a neighboring country in Thailand, uh, Indorama did a transaction and also uh, property plenty happening there with uh, DBS working with LinkRate on a linked um, trans, uh, transaction. Yeah, in the month of March, we saw quite a few interesting transactions around structured products come up. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, we did. And and I guess I'll say we expect to see a bit of a, a pickup on this with banks uh, responding to customer demands, uh, regulatory demand and their own goals to have more labelled instruments and products and also have more sustainability linked products. So uh, particularly the area of supply chain, I think there's going to be a lot of growth in that as banks have a lot of supply chain type facilities. There's a lot of procurement. Corporates are seeking to show more leadership through their procurement activities. And one deal to note was BBVA's green financing of, uh, of Axiona in relation to sustainable supply chain. So that's a, that's a definite watch uh, this space. There was an interest rate swap, which HSBC was involved in for a, a green, um, I should say, green transaction that was actually sustainability linked. So more derivatives products probably coming up. And another one just to note in the retail space, Bank Australia uh, launched and uh, I think uh, I believe won some won some awards for its uh, its green uh, green home loan. So hopefully more more retail uh, products to uh, to come out. Thanks, Nick. Moving on to our final segment on regulatory and regional updates this month, we look at to share some insight on that beast of a report that we have been looking at recently, which is the EU taxonomy final reports that were released at the start of March. Here to share some insights is our uh, Europe team. Hello, everyone. This is Enrico speaking from uh, Sustainalytics. I'm going to speak to you today about the new version of uh, the European taxonomy. Uh, which, as you may know, has been released over one month ago, the, the 9th of March, 2020. So the European taxonomy, it's one of the cornerstone action uh, within the European Action Plan for Sustainable Growth. The, the new release uh, in terms of, of ambition has been a very good step forward. It now uh, incorporates the ambitious target of the European Green Deal, which aims, by the way, to uh, a reduction of uh, between 50 and 55% of uh, the greenhouse gases reduction within the European Union by 2030. So all this is now taken into consideration by the uh, final version of the, uh, the European taxonomy which of course makes uh, a little bit tougher for companies to be compliant and to label uh, their activity as uh, uh, aligned with the European taxonomy. But uh, I also consider it uh, very fair if, uh, because if we're not ambitious, we won't be able to catch up uh, with these climate targets and goals. The final version of the European taxonomy focuses on uh, um, a couple of the pillars of the European action plans, which are the uh, climate change uh, mitigation and climate change uh, adaptation. For what concerns uh, the first pillar mentioned, the new version of the European taxonomy include update uh, 70 economic activities, which can be reconducted to a climate change mitigation. And um, for what uh, concerning instead um, climate change adaptation, 
the new version of the the final version of the European taxonomy individuate 68 economic activities. And the big news is that the criteria for these 68 economic activities has been added. These activities related some sectors as like buildings, forestry, manufacturing, but it has been like a, a great improvement in terms of like uh, throwing more clarity on uh, on the criteria for these economic activities. Also, really good to mention is uh, the more emphasis on the transition activity and especially the uh, enabling activities uh, to ensure this transition happen. And I, I think that overall, this new version, this final version of the European taxonomy. It's a really helpful tool for companies and for investors uh, for, for reporting and uh, to signal how they are aligned and how they are contributing to the EU action plan for, uh, for sustainable growth. Um, another of the main component of the European uh, action plan is the circular economy action plan. The, the objective of such a plan is to ensure that uh, resources are kept uh, in the European economy for as long as possible. Now, we know we are all very aware that uh, a European Union is, uh, is a geography relatively scarce in terms of resource availability. And uh, so I think that uh, I'm glad actually as a, as a European that uh, this is really one of the priority of the European Commission and that such a plan has been uh, designed in order uh, to take this into consideration, this, uh, this gap or this weakness, if we want to call it like that. And the Circular Economy Action Plan focusing on the most resource-intensive sectors. Uh, and so it individuates the activity where, uh, like a closing the loop, where circularity, uh, a really full circularity, will have the maximum effect. I can mention some as electronics and ECT, textiles, packaging, uh, batteries and vehicles. So really uh, industries where the resources demanded are, are, are really, really high. Uh, this is a, a very, uh, again, a very good opportunity for companies in order to uh, signal investors like how much they do believe in um, sustainable growth and uh, how much uh, do they can uh, have a good performance on ESG. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to see what will follow in terms of performance of the company regarding this. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Here to give us an update on what's happening in the Americas, we have our colleague Melissa Menzies. Thanks, Cheryl. As you mentioned earlier, Pfizer issued its inaugural sustainability bond at a size of $1.25 billion at the end of March, which was the first biopharmaceutical company to issue globally. Its use of proceeds included manufacturing and development of medicines and vaccines needed and procured by governments and public health agencies for vulnerable populations. Given their broad sustainability bond framework and the timing of the framework, they are also targeting some of the financing of the social sustainability bond to COVID-19 pandemic mitigation efforts. On this topic of pandemic response, Sustainalytics has released a couple of pieces specifically outlining use of proceeds for social and sustainability bonds that can be issued to address the COVID-19 pandemic, including healthcare services, supplies and equipment, pharmaceuticals, health insurance, SME financing, and financing of social organizations. We've seen interest across financial institutions, including banks and insurance companies, as well as inquiries on corporates and essential sectors, including customer payment reprieve programs as a potential use of proceeds. While we have seen development banks go to the capital markets with social bonds uh, in the last month, other financial institutions are also entering the space, such as USAA, the U.S. financial institution and insurer, and their self-labeled sustainability bond transaction announced this week. 
their use of proceeds was focused on fee waivers, mortgage and loan payment deferrals, and waived deductibles and co-payments for Medicare clients being tested and treated for illnesses related to COVID-19. Looking at issuers like Pfizer or the Council of Europe Development Bank and others demonstrates a broader opportunity for issuers with an existing social bond or sustainability bond framework to leverage their existing use of proceeds or perform a quick framework update with the support of an agency like Sustainalytics to open up opportunities to finance mitigation efforts against COVID-19, including those for public health care, medical equipment, and reprieve financing for customers. We've also seen some exciting developments in Canada with the expansion of issuance among the Canadian real estate sector. RioCan, one of Canada's largest REITs, issued a $350 million green bond in early March as the first Canadian REIT to issue and attracting new green bond investors to this issuance. Quebec-based Ivanhoe Cambridge similarly issued its $300 million green bond in December of 2019, which are some exciting developments for the real estate sector in Canada. On the corporate side, since the beginning of the year, we have seen an uptick in inquiries from U.S. and Canadian companies beginning to establish sustainability mandates, whether creating designated ESG or sustainability teams, or bringing focused attention to sustainability reporting and understanding material ESG risks to their business. This is a promising sign, aligning well with recent studies that we've seen published by HSBC and Morningstar, among others, that indicate the resiliency of ESG-tilted funds and strong corporate ESG performers compared to benchmarks during the pandemic and its effect on the market. We've also seen Atlas Renewables and Brookfield Renewables tap the market again with issuances in March. Atlas Renewables issued the largest private placement deal in Latin America for solar projects in Chile in early March. And after an update to expand its green bond framework to include preferred securities, Brookfield Renewables also issued at the beginning of April for financing and refinancing of solar, wind, hydro, and biomass projects. Our America's team is looking forward to seeing increased social bond issuance and continued uptick from Latin America as we enter Q2. Great. Thanks for the update. So look, overall, we're pretty much done for this episode. So look, thanks for listening in. Stay safe, stay healthy, and also do follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter at, at Sustainalytics. Check out the show notes that will also be up as well. Again, stay safe, stay healthy, and until next time, 